Mmm, that's a delicious sausage. Wanna see how it's made? Well, you can, because there's a video version of this somewhere floating around on YouTube. Or if you go to patreon.com slash pointlesspod, you can subscribe over there for a couple bones and there's a playlist that makes it easy. But today, my friends, you're gonna hear how a particularly spicy, delicious sausage was made. And I'm talking about the game called The Hex. And I'm gonna be talking to the creator, Daniel Mullins. And you are gonna be listening to it because, well, hello there, boys, girls, and in-betweeners. This is another episode of The Pointless Podcast, and it's me, Kevin Pereira, because this is my podcast. And there are many others, and there are a lot more. Most of them better, definitely more successful, far sexier hosts with real charisma. But you got me today, by accident or through sheer intention. Here we are. And I really, 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 really enjoyed this podcast because I really, really, really enjoyed the the creation of Daniel Mullins. And I say creation, he's had many creations and I have to go back and play them all and I absolutely will. But his latest is a game called The Hex. And whether you are a gamer uh, or not, I have a feeling there's some serious takeaway uh, in this podcast because Daniel set his sights on a thing, pivoted uh, where necessary, and was able to create a wonderful piece of interactive art that uh, has had me enthralled and delighted and inspired since the moment I spent the $12 on Steam to get it and play. Uh, But you'll hear him say where you can get it and how you can get it and why it exists and everything else. It's one of those things where it's an experience and I don't want to spoil too much. We will give out some details on what the game is, excuse me, and how it works, but it is meta as hell and it's, it's a joy. You'll get a lot more out of the game if you are in fact a gamer, but I just encourage anybody who has a mouse and keyboard and access to a digital store to grab it. The game is called The Hex. You're going to hear me uh, rant and rave about this thing. Uh, but you're also going to hear from its creator, Daniel Mullins. I hope you enjoy it. And right before we get to that, as in right now, I want to thank you all again for backing this endeavor. Patreon.com slash pointlesspod. You can go on over there, spend a couple bucks, whatever you got. I think our highest tier right now is $10. That gets you an exclusive uh, playlist and podcast feed of the Office Hours podcast which is a little thing I do a few times a week here with Alex Korea and sometimes some special guests. And it's all over there. You can grab it, patreon.com slash pointlesspod. Uh, the dollars, uh, most of them now directly help me out, so I appreciate it. Uh, you're helping justify the time I spend in front of the microphone and um, browbeating my friends and leveraging every friendship and relationship I've ever had to getting guests. So uh, thank you for enabling me to do what I do. I appreciate it. And thank you for raising awareness. Let's get to it. The Pointless Podcast with the creator of the Hex Game, Sir Daniel Mullins. Sometimes it's a rolling start here. Other times the car veers right into the grandstands and flips and kills everybody in the bleachers. So thank you for being part of this fiery wreckage today. No worries. Uh, I'm so, so glad that you're, you're, you've given us your time and your energy and you're graciously donating it to this waste of space. But I stumbled across the hex uh, a few weeks back and I have a very... Uh, I, I like to think she's a supportive fiance. She she really she understands me. She gives me uh, the, the necessary time and space, probably necessary for her as well as me. And I've yeah. never seen her more concerned with organizing around my needs than when I dove into the hex because <laughs> I spent probably uh, an hour or two with it night one and immediately she could just see I was all consumed. And her her immediate priority was 
get let Kevin go and play. He needs to experience it. So thank you for consuming a giant portion of my life and making me realize that I love the people in my life as much as I do. So thank yeah. you for that. Um, I have no questions. I just wanted to invite you on to lavish you with that praise. So thank you, Daniel. <laughs> Daniel, what's your story, man? Where are you? Where are you? You're beaming live into our Van Nuys dungeon. Yeah. Where are you at right now? What is your story? Yeah, so I'm in Vancouver. Um, it's a very typical Vancouver winter morning. Um, it's dark, very dark, and raining. Okay, <laughs> what a what a beautiful picture you painted with yeah. broad colors, and you have to be. I've got a, I've got a full window on the other side of the screen, and this is how much light is coming in. Oh, so perfect. <laughs> Were you uh, born and raised in that area? Uh, I was born and raised in Ontario, and I moved here when I was about 13. So I've been here for quite a while. Okay, and is this the is this the command center with which you you code such brilliance and fun adventures? It's. Um, Command Center One. I also have an office space uh, downtown that I go to about half the time. Okay. So, and so, like, take me through the the history. You, you moved there when you were thirteen or so. Were you already uh, chopping away and coding, and you know, using Seamaster Three to get fake credit card numbers for America Online? Like, I don't know how old you are, but there's some winks and nods to some nostalgic things in your games that make me think that's a reference that might land. Yeah. Not, not as much. I more appreciate the aesthetic than actually have um, experience with it. Damn it. Um, so you're one of those super young, super talented dudes who's going to just crush oh, the old guard like me. <laughs> I don't know. I'm super young. Maybe somewhere in between. <laughs> so what was, what was 13-year-old you in Canada experience like? And, and how did yeah. it blossom into being a, an indie game dev? Well, to stick to the things that are most relevant, I guess, um, I was obsessed with video games as a player. Um, playing lots of Nintendo games of that era. And um, I think the first brush with like game development that, that kind of put me like somewhat on that course was um, Flash. Mm. And I started doing Flash animations, no interactivity. And um, I would show them to my IT class and everyone thought they were cool, even though in retrospect, they're like the shittiest thing ever. Um, but then I would kind of from there, I added some interactivity, some like very simple games. Like, uh, are you aware of the Impossible Quiz? Do you know what that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first kind of like game I made, I guess, was like a, a knockoff of that, um, and that allowed me to do mostly like flash animation. Is that the sort of primitive like? Um like a hyper card system where you can go and click and then suddenly the box moves out of the way or there's a yeah. question that has an oddball answer you might not be expecting and oops, your game exactly. is over and now you can feel like an idiot for the rest of your life. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's how much weight I place in those games. So was this like, um, it, so was this like a, a new groundsian kind of thing? Were you doing? Very much so, yeah. Yeah. I never put it on new grounds, but it was that kind of thing. That style, okay. And it was this, were you in classes for this or were you, uh, you self-taught? Yeah, I was I, I was in an IT class in high school, and um, I did. They taught us Flash, like the basics of it, in there. But then I took it much further, mm -hmm. and uh, they, they taught us the basics, and then I kind of ran away with it. And at that time, were you saying, okay, well, this is a, a Flash skill set that I want to amass because I'm going to make games, or was it? Oh, this is uh, a, a fun thing, and we'll see where this goes. It was more just like this fascination and obsession that, like, like. And if I could scratch the surface of making a game, that was just very exciting. Sure, sure. And what were you, like, did you have odd jobs at the time where you were interacting um, with folks and, and absorbing their <laughs> essence because you're going to spit them back out as NPCs someday? <laughs> no, I did have some odd jobs, like 
meat counter at the grocery store, um, worked at a bookstore, cafe, but I don't know how much those inspired me or influenced me. Well, I'm because I'm because I like when I when I played the hex and I still have to the other the other game that you made the first I think the first game that you kind of published was it was Pony Island. That was my first like big game that anyone would have ever heard of. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. I still have to go back and, and and retrace that one. But at the end of the hex, I was convinced and still am that you're either uh, a supremely talented creative genius or <laughs> you're one um, evening news soundbite away from the neighbors saying he seemed like a nice guy. So I'm trying to get, <laughs> I'm trying to understand the trajectory from Flash right. to the the type of game. That, but maybe we should. I'm I'm a terrible interviewer. I'm sorry. I'm realizing this in real time, not for the first time. I've just never gotten better. Let's take a step back and talk about the hex, so people have some context to the type of game that sure. you've made and, and and the mechanics of it. Because what I love about the hex is that. Um, the it's it's the 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 gamification of the game itself the sort of inception of the game the fact that the game is making commentary on the player on the industry on the creator on the characters within but you please you'll you it's 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 your labor of love uh, for those who are tuning in and, and have no idea what the hex is how would you describe it yeah so i I'd, I'd say um i start off with the premise of it that it, it kind of um appears to be like a mystery, a murder mystery, although it's a little odd because the murder hasn't occurred yet. It's a, it's a threat of a murder. Mm -hmm. um, and then the spin on that is that there's six suspects and they're all video game characters. And this is what allows me to kind of run away with it and kind of do whatever I want. It's like a blank creative check because each of the characters um, is from their own game genre. And you play those game genres and there's six of them. So there's six different games within the hex. And that just gave me a lot of freedom to, well, maybe too much freedom at times, but it, it <laughs> let me do whatever I wanted, and it always kept things fresh and interesting. Did you, so, do, when, yeah. when you began the project, do, were you, did you realize you were biting off as much as you were? Because that's, that's an impressive um, amount of, of design to chew on. Yeah, it was a lot. Um, when I originally started it, I thought that the main part of the game would actually be the mystery intrigue in the main inn, and I thought the um, flashback sections with the different game genres were kind of the secondary aspect, but then it totally flipped around, and then the then it turned out I was making like six like decently sized games within it. Um, so that definitely stretched out the development time a lot. I also didn't expect each one of them to be so long, and they kind of I, I kind of had to top the last one. So that's how they escalated into the thing where like the last one is like an hour long first person 3d game <laughs> it sure is <laughs> and kudos to you on that one because in so many games it's sort of like i, I whether intentionally or whether just deadlines loom and in, in the creative process takes the toll that it does on any endeavor uh i feel like so many games are front-loaded right away with everything mm -hmm. they, they just they give it to you so that way maybe you play it yeah. and you immediately evangelize or a reviewer goes oh, okay great this is a whole experience and then just the steam is let out slowly but not only are you as you said mixing up entire genres but you're topping them and even while i, I was like oh okay this is the uh the jrpg segment of the game so to speak this is that yeah. role-playing moment how quickly i go from oh this is going to be me trying to level my character to get to an eventual boss battle to, holy shit, this took a left turn and then a right, and I think the car's upside down. I don't even think I'm in a car anymore. Now I'm hacking the code. I don't even know 
how like when you when you put this down on paper i mean were you discovering new things about each game mode as you were creating it and topping it or did you know yeah. from the onset oh this is this is this portion this is how it's going to look and feel yeah very much the first thing you said yeah. i was very much figuring out as i went um so many of like the major details about the game were not discovered until like i was far into it uh so it was a very bizarre process um but it seems, yeah, it seems to work out for me. <clears throat> it worked out for me as the player, for what it's worth. <laughs> Incredibly well. And that was, you know, one of the things when, when chatting about the Hex, and I, I, I want to get deeper into it, but I also don't want to spoil any of the mystery for anyone. I got intrigued when someone said the real ending to the game is in fact found in a different game. That is uh, true, yeah. And so you had me at hello, and I said, I got to get in there. And when I started playing it, Alex and a few others said, well, well what kind of game is it? And that's when I had to stop, and that's when I knew I had to chat with you because they, they, it was a first-person shooter. Sure, uh, yeah. At one point, it's also yeah. a strategy game. It's also it's everything. I don't th I don't recall a tile matching sequence. I think that's the only stone yeah, that no, was left right. unturned. But other than that, I mean, you're even cracking. You 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 put the game genie on blast at one point with the way yeah. you're hacking your own game within a game. Yeah, yeah. Incredible, incredible. What was the development process like then? How long did this take? And, and um, well, let's maybe we'll talk about the, the first game. Uh, let's talk about Pony Island. You were making some flash games, iterating. Mm -hmm. And then when did you plant a flag and say, all right, I'm going to do a real release. I'm going to put my name on the thing and have my logo pop up. When yeah. did that occur? Okay, well, that, that occurred quite a bit after. Um, but I'll try to fast forward you as quickly as possible. No, let's let's get no, let's get in the weeds. My bad. Let's let's talk about that interim. Let's go from flash well, I, game yeah, to what, what happened in the in between. Away with my own story, but no, please. Uh, so I guess uh, high school making flash games, um, dabbling a little bit in programming, but really not being especially competent as a programmer. Uh, going to university for computer science, where I became competent as a programmer. And it was during university that I met some people who were doing um, like games as a hobby and also doing game jams. Um, and we also had a few courses at university that um, were kind of like a project course where you make a game as the project. And that was really important because someone actually forced me to do it. Um, and it's not easy to force yourself to learn that stuff. So I had a few opportunities um, to actually get my feet wet with like a more serious game development. I learned how to use Unity, um, and that was hugely helpful. Um, Unity being the popular indie game engine. Sure. Um, what else? Uh, after university, I got a couple jobs in the games industry as a programmer, um, programmer specifically. And so I learned um, kind of how like a bigger game project comes together and how it's done professionally, how it's done in a team. And I think that was really formative and helpful as well. Um, Along the way, I had a few indie attempts. I did a couple mobile games with my friend uh, when I was in university. Um, and then after one of my jobs in the game, games industry, I did a Kickstarter that didn't go anywhere, but it was a valuable experience, I suppose. And then um, Pony Island was in my second uh, programmer job in the games industry. I worked on it part-time. And then as I got more serious about it, I put more and more of my um, hours into it. And eventually, I switched to part-time at work so I could like dedicate a lot of time to Pony Island, uh, released Pony Island, pretty big success, uh, left my job and became a full-time indie, living the dream. And um, from there, the hex began. And then 
uh, consuming me for two and a half years, and here we are. Okay, I appreciate okay, that. Now we've, now we've got some checkpoints on the roadmap. Now let's navigate yeah, that yeah. a little more granularly. So going back to, you know, Unity, learning that stuff uh, while, while you're in college, what were some of the, the, the games and experiences that you were making now? Or then, excuse me. Right. Um, the first game jam game I made was a very um, cheery, nothing dark that would indicate what was to come. Uh, it was just like a little... Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you said that. Okay. <laughs> I, was, I was pressed for time in that one because I actually decided it was a two-day game jam. It was hosted by Reddit. And um, I actually made the decision to do it like one day in. So I really only had a day. And it was just this thing where you made... Um, milkshakes by blending up fruit and then you serve them to zebras for some reason um, and that was that was that but that was a great experience because I didn't think I would be able to pull that off in a day um, and, and you I got that super... sweet jamba juice integration I'm sure yeah. they just with buckets of cash yeah, you. Milkshakes. you never actually put milk in yeah. it. <laughs> so wait so were you responsible then at this game jam were you an army of one were you doing the sound the graphics yeah, I was, everything I was an army of one I didn't even have sound I ran out of time. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a silent game. But that's uh, I. But I love one thing you already said, which keyed me into how much I appreciate your your personality and mentality. Is that you were like, oh, I did the Kickstarter. It didn't go anywhere, but there was a I suppose a valuable lesson in mm -hmm. that. And so your ability, I'm sure you could look at that indie game or that 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 thing that came out of a game jam and go, shit, there was no sound. I. <laughs> Uh, uh, or a, a, a lesser emotionally strong person might go, what a failure that was. I didn't even have sound. You're like, no, yeah. it was a silent game. And now I know yeah. the importance of, of probably leaving things on the, the cutting room floor and having to make those decisions to ship yeah. something. Yeah. So did the next Game Jam game, were you able to get audio in there? Were you able to unlock that? Yeah. I, I'm trying to remember what the actual... Oh, yeah, the next one I did use, um, it was Ludum Dare, which is the biggest Game Jam. And I, I did add audio, and then I had another uh, audio incident where I, I had broken the rules and I used public domain audio, whereas in my category of that game jam, I was supposed to actually create it all myself. So all the comments were like, the audio is great, but this is illegal. Uh, so <laughs> so what, I does, made, does Walter Day come out in his referee outfit and then blow a whistle and give you like, is it a, a like a, uh, an NES card cartridge that he holds up painted red? Like what happens to you? Oh, it's just—it's a very casual competition. It's—it's it's, uh, no one, no one got too upset. I, I basically made a note saying, "Don't rate me in the audio category because I cheated," uh, and that was satisfactory. I want I want now this. So people averted their gaze for a millisecond. All right, that doesn't sound like <laughs> doesn't yeah, sound like yeah. the worst fate. But okay, lesson learned. No. So then, and then, uh, yeah. Sorry, no, continue, please, because I just want to know the, the the sort of that 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 path to refinement and iteration and and adding yeah. more and being more ambitious when you took the the jobs at a more traditional developer you were you were just a programmer for them but as you said you got to learn how to manage a team and and maybe yeah. how milestones are met can you talk about those games and what those experiences were yeah um i could talk about some of them uh, i worked for a company in vancouver um and we were working on a game uh, for the amazon uh, tablet that was going to come out they, they had this whole um including actually Double Fine was producing one. They had quite a roster of games that they were hoping to launch the tablet with. And um, so I worked there for a while and they were a great company to work at. And I, I said I was only a programmer, but they allowed me to sit in on design meetings. I think they saw how eager I was to be um, a part of the design aspect of it. So I, I can't say enough good things about them. But unfortunately, um, Amazon decided to kind of just 
put an axe to every last one of those projects they had slated. And that was the only thing that was keeping the studio going. So I still know the people and they still exist as a company, but they laid out off most of the people. Um, and that was when I decided, hey, I've got some money in the bank and I've got some time. Why don't I try the Kickstarter? And so I moved to Toronto to live with my girlfriend. Um, and I spent about three months preparing the demo and the trailer and whatever for the Kickstarter. And then I launched it. It was a month of misery as I slowly watched it fall apart before my eyes. And then I said, okay, Wait, I you refresh I and it's like negative $300. How does that happen? The yeah. bar shouldn't be doing that. That's the wrong direction. Yeah. Oh, uh, it was more like the, the, the pain of the Kickstarter is that the first few days basically tells you how it's going to do. If you don't have like a third or half of your funding in three days, you're toast. So it was hard to see like me not making that milestone, but then realizing, oh, I still where I can't give up. I can't be like, oh, sorry, guys, the thing's over. I had to keep trying to like get my friends and get people on Reddit and whatever in on it. Um, so that was a little hard. And then after that, um, I was like, okay, I, I need to get a job again because I need to replenish the bank account. Um, but when I got the next job, I thought there's no reason why I can't continue this indie ambition while I have the job like that. Previously in my mind is like, you can't do both at once, but maybe I can. So that was how I really started doing Pony Island. Was that, um, you know, I, I hear that often um, from creatives who break off from a traditional ladder based sort of you get the, the the nine to five in the cubicle, whatever. I, I hear that often. And for some, it's um, because they feel like, well, if I'm going to if I'm going to do this, it has to be all or nothing. Right. My back has to be against yeah. the wall. And for others, it's just ah, there's just not enough hours in the day. What yeah. was what was it for you? What was holding you back from from launching both simultaneously? Um, I just think I felt that I wasn't up to it. It is hard, like working all day, you feel pretty uh, exhausted and you just want to do something that's totally relaxing after work. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I felt that I just wasn't, I was never like a super hard worker in school or anything. I was never, I never had like an incredible worth, work ethic. So I felt like I wasn't uh, necessarily capable, but I guess I proved myself wrong in that period. Yeah, good, good, good thing too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's just some big, big dice to roll to have them come up snake yeah. eyes. Like, oh no. Um, what, what surprised you when you were back in those meetings? And that's great that the developer would let you in on that and sort of foster that advancement uh, mm -hmm. uh, for you. But what is it that you learned about the process or team management? What were some of the key takeaways there? Because I think uh, I, I'm, you know, we're chatting to a, a handful of people that are watching live and then uh, a lot more once this gets posted. And I, I guarantee 90% of them play games and a smaller but just as passionate percentage wants to make games and they're fascinated with the process just as I am. Um, right. What was the insight that you gained early on that helped you uh, actually publish something and get it done? Yeah, I think... Uh, as far as the technical side, I saw um, just like how a larger scale software project is structured and, and how people collaborate and using source control software and stuff. So like just the skills in making something big and complex, because if you're like a very amateur programmer, you think, oh, yeah, that's great. I can I can make the thing I can make the computer do this. But when you start making something that's gigantic, you slowly realize that if you don't organize and have clean code, you're going to have like immeasurable difficulties as time goes on and you forget what you did and 
things or label weirdly. So those skills are, are huge. <clears throat> and um, I guess on the design side, I just, it was encouraging to see that even the professional designers operated in a similar way to me where they're mostly for the, like mostly using their intuition about games in general. Like they play a lot of games, they've designed games, but they're not like, they don't have some rigorous rule book that they go through. They're really just um, using their intuition to make decisions. And that made me feel like, well, that's what I do too. And um, I guess that puts me in a similar um, level as them. So when you pull back the curtain, there wasn't some mysterious smoke monster exactly. of an algorithm that this is exactly yeah. how it's done. It's sort of, oh, I have a yeah. hunch about a gameplay yeah. mechanic or about a character design or whatever. Let's implement yeah. it and see if it works. Right. And which isn't to say they weren't, they were just like flying by the seat of their pants. They certainly had a lot of expertise, sure. but yeah, it was nice to see that. So so you you're, uh, decide to go ahead and do both simultaneously. You're going to hold down a job. You're going to do the indie developer thing mm -hmm. uh, as well. Was that for Pony Island? Originally, it was for another project, um, a sort of uh, RPG that was inspired by Darkest Dungeon mm -hmm. um, because that game made a mark on me. Uh, and then I did a Pony Island as a game jam, actually, originally when I was still living uh, with my girlfriend in Toronto after the Kickstarter. It was around Christmas time. And that was when I was like looking at jobs and stuff. Um, and I did it as a game jam. Um, it all like a lot of what it is now came out in the game jam, like the essence of it. Um, and I, over the holidays, I noticed that it got a bit more of a response than any of my other game jams had. Like a few people streamed it on Twitch and it was so gratifying to see that. Cause I don't think I had had that much before of let's players or streamers. Um, so right. you, it's, you, really you, I mean, with the indie hurt. scene, rarely you don't get a chance to focus group your games. It's just not a yeah, resource yeah, you have. Yeah. So now you get to watch somebody experience uh, every element of your design in real time. Yeah. And, and, you know, people on streams and on YouTube, like play it up a bit, um, which is great for viewers and especially gratifying for the person who made it. Um, so that, that's awesome. And then, um, I think it was, yeah, then I then I was working at the job and I was working on the Darkest Dungeon RPG thing. And then I, I was away for a, a trip um, on Vancouver Island for a weekend with my friends. And just, I was on the ferry back and I was just, I don't know why I, I it occurred to me, but I was like, maybe I'll make a trailer for that Pony Island game and put it on Steam Greenlight. Because I, I had been thinking about Steam Greenlight and... Um, and oh, stand by. Our, the, the video... Ah! The, the, the folks watching the video just got treated to a screensaver, but now we're back. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, no so, worries. So that, was that what exploded the game? Was you making a trailer? No, it didn't explode it. Um, it just put me on the path to working on it more. So I, I put uh, it on green light, and I was like, well, now I've got something sitting on green light. And, um, it, and if, if people aren't familiar, this was the system before the current Steam system where you put up a trailer and people would vote on it. And if it got enough votes, Valve would say, okay, you're on Steam. This was when Steam was much more exclusive. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just thought that getting a game on Steam at all would be great. So I thought, well, this is like a lottery ticket. All I have to do is make a funny trailer. And I've bought a lottery ticket to being on Steam, which at the time seemed to me to be a, like winning the lottery for a developer, um, at least of my caliber at that time. Um, so then when I had that green light page, um, it was easy to use that as something to send to publishers. Like I was like, well, now I have a thing. I could just show it to publishers. Why not? So I just kind of spammed out any publisher I could find on the internet. That's my approach to finding jobs too. Just 
make a huge, compile a big list of emails and then blast them with my message and then blast them again if they don't respond and then give up. Uh, <laughs> a one-two punch and then defeat. Yeah. Just go yeah. skulk in a corner. And that's how yeah. your resume could end up at a, a Cisco, an electronic arts, or a Pornhub. It doesn't matter. You're just yeah. grabbing every email you can and saying, my <laughs> hands are yours for better or for yeah. worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So did publishers, so I, did publishers respond? Because that was yeah. at the time, I'm glad that you, you put it into context because people now see Steam as sort of, uh, it's, it's, it's the, the shelves are there, pack it with what there. you want. But at the time that was some valued real estate. So you got yeah. on there, I'm sure a, a publisher resonated and responded. Yeah, a few publishers, none of like the big ones, but a few ones um, that were credible, but not like well known, showed some interest. And then again, it's this kind of ladder of encouragement where like, okay, a few people played on Twitch, maybe I'll do a trailer. Now a publisher is interested. Now maybe I'll build out a demo more. And then it kind of, um, it cyclically feeds on itself until you're like full steam ahead rolling toward a release. So when the publishers were interested, they said, we need a, a demo. And I felt that the game jam version was not going to quite cut it. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, with one publisher, I got more serious, and they said, like, we're, we're very interested, but we really need to see a demo. Um, could you have that to us in a month? And then that was probably the biggest uh, crunch period where I, I worked really hard to create um, a demo for Pony Island that was 30 minutes long. It was essentially the first act of the game. Uh, yeah, back end. in the shareware days, that would be episode yeah. one. You actually created yeah, something yeah. you could sell. Yeah, and that was... Um, for anyone familiar with Pony Island, it was basically up to the first uh, Damon encounter with um, uh, Azazel.exe. Um, and that was essentially, I mean, it was changed a bit, the 30-minute the demo that I showed. And then that publisher was like, yeah, let's do this. And we moved ahead. Unfortunately, things uh, very much fell apart. And to use your car analogy, <laughs> perhaps the car ended up upside down with that publisher. But that was the encouragement I needed to go like, okay, we're doing this. This is going to be finished. Um, I'm going to like finish this game all the way. So, and part of my ignorance on the industry, when a publisher says, hey, we're interested, but we want to see a demo, mm -hmm. is there uh, development funds or a contract or anything associated with that? Or are you just left on your own and you've got a month? Yeah, there was nothing signed before the demo was shown. They, they needed that to make a decision. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, I, I feel like that's understandable. They, they can't. I don't think they want to put ink to paper without having played something. I, I, there are parallels to like, I'm trying to think of the parallels to, to my industry. And like that does happen where a network or someone will say, okay, develop it out. Let's see a sizzle, which is you just cut mm -hmm. together a sample, just like you did for your Steam Greenlight trailer. Yeah, that happens. Yeah. But more often than not, it's sort of like, well, hey, wait, you're interested. But now you, you said you had to go into a month of the most insane crunch you ever did yeah. with no guarantee. I'm glad you survived that and came out of that with the, well, shit, now I got to finish this game attitude. Yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, to the point, uh, you know, someone could make you do a whole lot of work with no guarantee and yeah. for, for nothing essentially at the end of the day. That feels a little broken to me. Yeah, I, I suppose so. Although they had no claim to the, the demo. Like I could, right. when, when I had it done, I could show it to anyone. And I, in fact, did um, show it to other publishers, and I considered going with other publishers along the way. So it was it was more for myself, too. So then once that demo was done, uh, you decided to, okay, this thing has to be finished. And you said, we, you know, we've got to make this. Who's the we at this point? Is it is it you and a handful of oh, friends? Maybe I, maybe I was just using the royal we. The Wii. royal we? <laughs> <laughs> there, was a, there was, I did have someone else involved at, um, I had a friend in Vancouver who I had worked with at one of my companies 
that I was working on as a programmer who's a good friend of mine now. And he helped me design that demo to a degree. Um, and he also kind of sketched out, like I was panicking. I was like, what, what is this game going to be? And he, he sketched out like a, a rough kind of skeleton that I might fill in. So he kind of kept me on track. Um, and then I don't remember exactly when, but I got in touch with Jonas Senzel, who is the composer of Pony Island and composer of The Hex and also the sound effect designer of The Hex. Um, he had done some free music for me way back when I did it. Oh, so I had the screensaver thing happen. Um, <laughs> no, we're golden. There was a pre preemptive mouse wiggle. My internal clock was saying, this is going to cut to screensaver. We can't have that. Yeah. I already ruined yeah. that show. Let's stay here. So here we are. Yeah, so I, he had done, he had way back when I was doing the mobile games, he, I'd found him on Reddit as a person saying, hey, I'll make music for free. Uh, just tell me what you want. And I was like, okay. And um, me and my friend uh, that had made the mobile games got him to do some music for us. And then when I was doing the Pony Island demo, I was like, oh, I need some music here. This will not be another silent game. And I browsed through my folders and I found this old stuff that he had done for us for free. And I didn't feel right just slapping it in without his permission. So I said, can I use this whole thing you made for us? And by the way, if you happen to be interested, I am making this thing. Do you want to do the music? And he was excited about it. So that's how we started working together again. Um, and so I guess when I say we, there is there there are three people um, who were involved to various degrees. Yeah. Gotcha. But it also by the end of development, it's a, you know, a bucket of Legos and a half finished bowl of spaghetti. But now we're personifying them because <laughs> you can't go it completely alone. So we got the game made, which I loved. Someone in uh, DRIV in chat says a, a daemon named Azazel.exe. I love that. So, <laughs> so Pony Island on the surface, which you know, it, it appears like a, a a delightful platformer. We've been seeing some yeah. some video of it on the screen. You look like a, an adorable pixelated pony bouncing through an environment, and then very quickly um, things derail. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how much of that was from the initial game jam concept, and how much of that was you trying to stretch that and and, and iterate yeah. that and turn that into a full game? Well, the premise was right there, the game yeah. jam game. Like the, uh, the final Pony Island doesn't really conceal itself. Um, if you go to the Steam page, you watch the trailer for more than two seconds and you yeah. start seeing the demon shit popping in your face. Um, but the game jam one, I was less, I was caring less because it was a game jam entry. So the, the game jam page actually is the colorful pony thing and then the surprise when it isn't. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so that was already there. Uh, the, the mood was already there. Yeah, where's that come from? Uh, I think the mood, well, I mean, the mood was created simply by uh, that deep humming sound of a, of a machine whirring. It's, it's very ominous. Um, but I mean, the internal darkness, Daniel. Where is that internal darkness oh. that wasn't, when we were making fun smoothies in a silent yeah. game back in the day, uh, hey, Flash is great, Unity is great, yeah. everything is great. Where did this darkness creep in? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's hard to say, like it, it's not like it's, it's not like Pony Island is actually like that dark, like nothing, I wouldn't say that heavy happens. It's, it's like a tongue in cheek darkness more than anything. Like, like there's, I think there's a hint of humor around every like dark turn. Agreed. Even, well, even with the hex, when it deals with yeah. like the, you know, the futility of man and, and what, what is it to be free and, and who's, yeah. who's really in control and all that stuff. There's still like a, a like a, a comedic overtone. There's still a wink yeah. and a nod, but, but yeah. going from Pony Island to the hex, 
exploring uh, the sort of game within a game or, hey, th these are the, the, the mechanics that you know and love. Now we're going to flip them on their head and completely tear them mm -hmm. down and expose the fourth wall and let you mess with the code and all that stuff. Um, when you ship Pony Island, what were some of the, the, the lessons and things learned from that that you wanted to apply to the hacks? Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I, it was clear to me which parts of the game that people loved and it was clear which parts they didn't like. And that was instructive, I think. Was that just um, from like forum posts and Steam feedback? Yeah, and stuff? And there, there's one part of Pony Island, I, I don't know um, how much I should spoil, but I, I won't. But I'll, I'll say there's one part in Pony Island that if you look at any um, review or any text that concerns Pony Island, they will always mention this part because it's kind of the shining moment of the game. Like I'll get emails saying, love Pony Island, loved this part. Mm. And so that was, it was clear that like, that is something that people like, um, but it, I even knew that when I was making that part, I knew it was kind of tricky and interesting. Um, and then I, I also got the message loud and clear that the repetitive pony jumping sections um, were not as enjoyable. <laughs> so I, I did endeavor in the hex to try to keep things never, re never repeating um, the exact same mechanic or, or gameplay section for mm -hmm. very long. I thought it, I, I tried really hard to make it um, always spontaneous and never repetitive. Did you have uh, help, uh, more help, I would say, with the hex playtesting that to get that feedback, or were you still I, going by gut? No, I had so much playtesting with the hex. Um, uh, I, I'm lucky to be a part of a, a small group here in Vancouver where we meet every week, discuss our stuff, and um, importantly for me, uh, playtest. So like most weeks I was bringing it in and having people look at it. Yeah. And, it, oh, stages in development early. Yeah. You know, early on, and I, I don't think it's spoiling too much, but one of the first portions of the hex is a, a basic platformer. Uh, mm -hmm. Very, very Pony Island-esque. Uh, yeah. But you, you're, you're, you're leaping about and, and I could see, okay, the, I now understand the core mechanics of this game. Because what an interesting, now I'm thinking about it, what an interesting task as a developer to not assume that the player is going to... Um, understand all the mechanics and all the, the typical trappings of, of video game feedback and using light to guide you or using sound cues for whatever. Like you can't take that for granted. So you have mm -hmm. to train the player on a, a particular mini game, so to speak. You have to train them yeah. on the mechanics, but you also have to iterate on them fast enough so that they don't get boring to those who already yeah. have. Like what an interesting development challenge that must be. It have was been. challenging for sure, yeah. And it's surprising how um, game mechanics that I thought that I took for granted that most people would understand. You can't take anything for granted. Like the the turn-based tactics section that you were uh, referencing mm -hmm. with the game part. Um, I figured that most people who play who are kind of fluent in games understand uh, grid-based combat. And maybe this was naive, but like clicking a unit and then clicking a space on it to move and then clicking a space on it to attack, I thought that they will just get that. There will be no tutorial necessary because I am dealing with um, primarily players who are fluent in games. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't pick up something like the first game. Uh, that would be very you mean beautiful. mom's not at GameStop trading in Madden 2012 and goes, what's this hex? All right, my kid will love it. That doesn't happen? No, not so much. <laughs> but to my surprise, um, all that stuff needs to be clearly elaborated on. Um, it, it could be in part due to my um, often um, peculiar control scheme because I wanted to make all the games control with the mouse and WASD. Mm -hmm. So 
to at least not have to reteach you different controls every time. So some of the games were made less intuitive um, because of that. Uh, the fighter game definitely comes to mind. Um, I knew that that needed a heavy tutorial because that control scheme is pretty irregular. Um, but yeah, that, that teaching them the basics and then teaching them whatever twist I was heaping on top was very hard. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and so many, and by the way, someone in chat said, uh, Yalamar says this game really does sound fun. No shit. <laughs> Nothing personal, but yeah, I, the, the game was one of the best damn games I've played in a long while. I had such a good time with it. Uh, go get it. Get it now. Do whatever you have to do. It's on Steam. It's, it's what, I think, 14 bucks now, 15? What is it at now? Uh, it's only 10. Only 10 it's yeah. only 10. Like, get, get four <laughs> copies of it. What the fuck are you doing still listening to me? I mean, I know you're listening to Daniel. He's interesting, and this is fascinating stuff. Go get the fucking game. Just go, Alex, get it. Did you get it? I got 100 copies, Kevin. Oh, you just got 100 copies. And if, it, if you had to put it in the Epic Store, that might be a good payday. I'm sorry, I want to get into yeah, that. Yeah, I do yeah, want to get into that as well. Yalamar, yeah. get the game. It's really good. Um, I was going to well, say, it, it is an interesting challenge, as, as you laid out, of, of having to do the tutorial and then iterate and then do it. But you, you nailed it. You absolutely nailed it in each and every section. Uh, I never felt like a particular mechanic was overstaying its welcome. I appreciated when mechanics found their way back into um, other games because I had like leveled up this fighting game mechanic that I wasn't expecting to get into. And suddenly now I'm implementing that in another portion of the game. Uh, all that is there. I, I, wish, I wish I had an intelligent question to ask you about that, but I think it's just more praise for the hex. And I found myself while I was playing it as well, um, the little, they're, they're little Easter eggs here and there, or there's little puzzles mm -hmm. within a puzzle within a game. And so like, I know if you look at my Steam profile, it will show that I completed the game and I sank some hours into it and I had a great time with it. Uh, yeah. Without spoiling too much, I collected enough coins mm -hmm. uh, at one point uh, to, to unlock one of several secret sections I'm sure exist because yeah. I found other ways to implement those sort of hidden coins that I didn't gather enough of. So how much am I missing by not going back to it and putting in more hours and trying to unlock that bonus yeah. stuff? Um, I think I, I love putting secrets in games and um, after Pony Island, it was, it was very much an expectation, uh, but one I was happy to meet. Um, so there's lots of stuff hidden around every corner um, nothing necessarily that will change your whole conception of the experience. It's mm -hmm. more supplementary. Um, like it, that thing that you mentioned, if you open all three of the vending machines, I won't spoil too much, but it's more of an elaboration of the backstory mm -hmm. than like a massive revelation. Um, and there's achievements involved with that too, uh, which I found that the players of the Hex and a Pony Island are very oriented towards, um, finding the achievements. And I think, um, especially the achievements that aren't just like um, do this really well, but more you found a secret and here's a little extra nod or encouragement. Right. Now the, there's, there's a lot of meta story. I don't even know if it's the right way to, 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 to verbalize it, but there's a, or contextualize it. There's, there's a, uh, the, the story of, I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> there are, there are many parallels to maybe a process that you or fellow game developers might be going through uh, as a spine of the story of these game characters and what, uh, how much of you and your experience is in the story of the Hex versus how much is it you uh, uh, imagining what other developers might be going through? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I want to make clear, I, I know what you're referring to, 
the, the character in question is not intended to be me. Okay. Hopefully that was made clear by how he's made to be somewhat of an antagonist um, and not a necessarily a desirable person. <laughs> well, um, sure, yeah, to be fair, I don't know where the foundation of that character yeah, or, yeah. Those, or those struggles exist because, again, yeah. as I'm playing it, I'm like, wow, what a, the, the conductor is, is masterful and his baton is powerful <laughs> and he's playing all the, the orchestra that is this creative team very well and also this is his cry for help. And I don't know how to help him. Please let me help you. <laughs> Your yeah, animals but, are dying and the world is bleak and you're losing friendships and ev everything is going to shit. And I don't yeah, know yeah. how much of that is you. <laughs> yeah, so the character is not me. Okay. Um, but writing uh, for a game developer um, is made much easier by being one. And I think that is probably what led me down that road and why it might seem more convincing than if I had written a professional football player or something. <laughs> sure. Um, and so if you're familiar with Pony Island, you also know that the devil in Pony Island is a game developer as well. And I got similar remarks with Pony Island that like it, it's relatable to a developer, some of the dialogue um, mm -hmm. that the devil has. Um, so I think that's a strength that I play into is that I, I, I'm familiar with the process so the writing can seem more honest. And now you mentioned that you know, when you made the transition, you're living the dream. And I have no doubt that you are. I mean, you, you publish a game, the reception has been a pretty yeah. overwhelmingly positive from what I've seen. Yeah, yeah. So congrats on that. I, I, I'm a super fan. I'm playing whatever is next coming down the pipe. But for those, again, who are listening and saying, oh, someday I would dare to dream to, mm -hmm. to make good my flash fantasies and, and publish an independent right. game. How is the dream today? Is the state of the industry, you know, I, it's never been easier to push a button and have your game mm -hmm. potentially seen, but that also yeah. creates a ton of noise. It creates predatory practices from those who might want to absorb your thing and then redistribute yeah. your thing and give you even less of it. So, so you've got the perspective on it. Uh, yeah. how, how, how alive is this dream? Um, I think it's still alive. Um, you're right about, um, it's interesting because the barrier for entry is much lower, but then once you pass that barrier, then your chances are, are much lower as well. Like I was at um, university, we had someone come in and he was, he gave this really inspiring uh, story about how he was working as a bus driver, but also um, making games on the side. And he got in right when the iPhone launched and he was one of the first games to be on it. And his game, he even admitted it bragging up. It was basically a piece of shit. Like it was just a, a very, very basic crappy quiz game where you had like four quadrants those are the answers, multiple choice, and you tap one, and oh, you got it right or wrong. And he made enough to launch a career off of that. So the barrier for entry then was higher, though. I don't know how he was able to get sort of that early. Also, the tools to make that game um, were probably much more difficult to work with. So it is impressive that he made anything at all. Mm -hmm. um, but then when he got over that barrier, he launched a career off a piece of crap. And now a piece of crap will get you nothing. Like he just like. There's if the, like the barrier for entry is so low that there's many, many, many pieces of crap out there and they won't help you. Right. Um, also, and if it's that easy that you just shard it out, there's the no shortage, yeah. no shortage of other developers and other publishers from other countries that will copy and paste that a thousand exactly. times over and release it for free. Yeah. So that's hard. And I don't know how to um, interpret that. So. I don't know what percent of people are now um, making a career out of uh, indie development, but I, I guess I'll just stick to my statement of 
low barrier of entry, lower chances of success. Right. I think your best bet is to get in the industry um, in a paid job and learn your skills. And I think uh, developing your skills is probably should be objective number one, not cranking out something and hoping to make money off. God, I wish I would be to have this conversation like two years ago. Um, <laughs> How do you fit now? Epic, you know, is a is a bold move. It's a, it's of the moment. It's it's in the 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 digital zeitgeist. Uh, Epic is opening up the Fortnite launcher, you know, as a game store. They're going to take a smaller cut, especially if you use the Unreal Engine. Uh, as a developer, is this exciting to you? Do you see Steam repositioning uh, to give uh, folks like yourself more money or try to lock up exclusives? Uh, what's your take mm -hmm. on this whole thing? Um, I wouldn't claim to know too much about it. Um, I would hope that maybe if Epic Store takes off, Steam would um, lower their percentage. Um, that could be good for developers. Um, as far as like the excitement of being on Epic Store, I think it remains to be seen how successful the games are there. Like mm -hmm. You can get on all sorts of stores, but they're almost not worth your time. Even with a successful game on Steam, uh, these secondary stores will give you like a, just a tiny fraction of the sales that Steam gives you, and it makes you wonder if it was even worth the effort of having multiple stores to upload your game builds to. Um, so if, if the Epic Store is um, successful, then I'd be extremely excited to get a higher percent, obviously. Um, but I wouldn't just jump on it for the sake of a higher percent, because it might be a higher percent of nothing. So how many store people are asking what where the hex is available now? Hey, is it PlayStation? Are we going to get a mobile version? Are there possibilities of that? Are you in yeah. the process of of porting for uh, for those who don't know? It's PC. I got it on Steam. I don't know however many stores are in. How many other stores did you place yeah, the hex in? Only only two stores for the hex. There's Steam, and then there's the lesser known itch.io, the oh, place yeah. the indie kind of hub. Um, and I I only put it on there because I wanted to sell a, a DRM digital rights management free version of the game upon request and it's only it's it's not doesn't sell very many copies on there but it's nice that people who really care about not having it locked in by steam's um drm features mm -hmm. get it that way um but yeah it, it doesn't seem there's not much of an imperative for me to put it any anywhere other than steam um not course, having it wait not, not not having it locked down that doesn't have you concerned and checking all sorts of torrent sites to see who out there is stealing your precious oh, yeah. coins and ignoring that FBI warning at the beginning, not to, not not it to take drugs anyway. and not to copy it. Yeah, they can do that anyway. They can they can strip off the DRM from the Steam version. There was a it was on a pirate site before it was even on itch. So um, it's just something that is impossible. To now, wait, how's, well, how does that happen? Is that because one of your testers might have leaked it, or someone might have grabbed it from no, a, a like think, the final build was available before you wanted it to be available? No, I think they just download the Steam build and, and they're able to strip out the DRM features uh, from that. Um, they pr one person bought it, I guess, and then they and then they uh, gotcha. Uh, I, I assume so. I don't know the process how you would do that, but uh, I think that's what's going on. Well, if it's any consolation, Yalamar just pasted his uh, his receipt confirmation in the chat, so <laughs> we made up for that one. That's great. <laughs> We're doing it inch by inch. So, so is is the hex being ported? Is that something you're exploring? Right. Are you going to have others do that? Yeah, like I love uh, the idea of having my games on consoles, um, especially the Switch, because um, I really enjoy playing my Switch. Um, uh, unfortunately, the effort might not be worth my time, considering the effort could go toward my next game, um, because changing the controls is the biggest uh, right. hurdle. A uh, point-and-click game is not easy to translate into uh, 
uh, analog sticks. So I, I, it doesn't seem likely. What I am doing um, for anyone who speaks another language uh, that's interested is uh, the localization process is happening right now. So I should have nine or 10 languages um, releasing at some point in the near future. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we have um, regional accents doing the the, mm -hmm. the the sort of blips and hmms and blurp blurps uh, from different dialogue really boxes. <laughs> I would love to do that, but no, no. Is that is that something that you farm out to uh, like a third party? You say, here are all the assets, here's all the, the dialogue or whatever, and someone else is translating that and putting that into the game for you? Yeah, well, actually, um, when I released Pony Island, I had a, a huge amount of people volunteering to translate it. And so I picked some of those volunteers last time and this time I emailed them to see if they'd be interested in doing it again. Their first call, seeing if they did a good job last time, and then I'm paying them um, more this time. Awesome. Uh, so trusting them a lot, right? Cause yeah, even I if you take their them. words and put it into Google yeah. Translate, you're like, I, yeah. this dialogue has nothing to do with a foot going anywhere near a character's mouth, but cool, yeah. I hope someone's getting off to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned that instead of spending the money to get it on different stores or potentially porting it, you mentioned that that's resources that could go to your next game. Have you, yeah. have you already decided what the next game is? Are you already in development? I've got some ideas. Um, yeah. Hentai I, tile matching? <laughs> maybe. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have some ideas. Confirm uh, it. Hold on. I just want everybody that's watching this to just go ahead and tweet out that we've confirmed that Daniel's next game is, in fact, a hentai yeah. tile matcher. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Now, what, what are some of the, uh, the ideas and concepts, if you don't mind? Like, what are you exploring? Uh, I don't really want to spoil too much, actually. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't want to say too much because I don't know if I'm going to going, and I don't want it, people to get carried away with with the thought of, of what I was planning. So I don't want to say too much um, other than that it's more different than the Hex and Pony Island. Um, it's not like, it, it would it would not seem to be like another logical step. It's more of a divergence, but who knows? Do you get, I mean, because I know you can write, um, I know you can write and imbue other characters with pangs of anxiety whenever a developer decides to take a different approach or try something you know radically unique. Are you having that apprehension that maybe Nickelback does when they're saying, oh, we should go acoustic now or any, yeah. you know, cause there's like, oh, we love this. We love this sound. We love this style of game. We, we know what, we know what you do yeah. and you do it very well. You do it better than anybody else. And then you release <laughs> that massively multiplayer tile matching game and there's, there's yeah. revolt. Uh, how do yeah. you, how do you weigh that? And, and, and does that weigh on you? I think, um, while, while the thing I'm thinking about would be divergent, um, I would keep in some features that I think, um, would tie it. In a bit it wouldn't be like totally alien like it would still uh, i would hope have a stamp of my creation on it mm -hmm. so i think that might appease fans of the last two games well you're but it's, no, i don't know where it's going to end up just like with the hex so i've signed me up though i'm buckled up yeah. i'm ready to go i'll pre-order yeah. and take all my monies in fact people in chat are asking hey do you have a a patreon you mentioned the kickstarter um is yeah. is are you are, can people actively back you and support your endeavors uh, the most direct way of doing that would be to buy the games. Um, if you would like to uh, support me the most, um, the itch.io version of the Hex, itch only take, well, actually, speaking of the Epic Store and their generous um, only taking 12%, itch.io um, takes any percent that you'll give them. Um, the default is they take only 10, um, but you can actually give them zero if you feel that way. Oh, but wow. I left it at the default 10, so... Um, if you buy the hex on itch.io, um, I will get 90%. I wish I would have known that. I, I wish also, I would... 
Yeah, itch.io is a great website and thing that I think um, you should feel better about supporting because they really are an excellent service for indie developers. So that 10% that goes to them is probably doing a better good than the 30% that goes to Valve, right. who is sucking up money from Artifact. They got to make those hats. <laughs> those hats aren't going to make themselves. <laughs> um, I want to get to some, uh, if you have like five more minutes, I'd love to get to some questions that were sent in by folks in the sure, in yeah. the, in the the chits and the chats. Uh, and I'll open this up now if you're watching on Twitch, if you're watching on YouTube, which I guess we're back on now, and also in the Discord. Fido Rules has a few questions, which I'd, I'd like to jog through. Um, as well, but but before I get to that, well, I guess it's tangentially related to one of his questions, which were, I mean, he was asking if influence from older games, um, mm -hmm. anything like uh, old LucasArts titles like Full Throttle or old Westwood Studio points and clicks. Um, you mentioned that you were sort of raised on the sort of Nintendo games that people yeah. know and love, but but what are some yeah. of the influences that, that that permeated the Hex and Pony Island? Yeah, um, starting with the Hex, um, I think each section had its own influence. Mm -hmm. And then those were tied into the main thing. Um, as most people can see plainly in the top-down shooter section, Hotline Miami was a massive inspiration. Mm -hmm. uh, you just have to look at it for one second to pick that up. Um, and, and the music uh, that Jonas Senzel created for that section is, in my opinion, it stands with uh, the Hotline Miami soundtrack, which is not... Um, it's not an easy task, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, so... Both the music and the visuals in that section um, are an homage to Hotline Miami. Uh, the final section has, I think, pretty clear influences. Um, this is a, without spoiling too much, it's a first-person 3D puzzle game. Uh, I think it draws evenly both from The Witness, uh, Jonathan Blow's yeah. uh, title, Follow-Up to Braid, and also The Beginner's Guide, uh, which was Davey Reedon's game. He, he was one of the people who created The Stanley Parable. Uh, the Beginner's Guide could actually be seen as an um, inspiration for the Hex as a whole, although I think I independently arrived at it. The Beginner's Guide only came in in that final chapter. Um, what else? I mean, I think for the, the RPG, the platformer, the turn-based tactics, um, those do kind of draw from uh, that era of Nintendo, and the one I'm referring to is kind of Game Boy Advance, GameCube era. Um, I played a lot of stuff like Fire Emblem, Advance Wars, and those um, mechanically were brought right in for the turn-based tactics. Um, RPGs, those are that's more of a stereotype than anything, but like Final Fantasy and things of that sort. Um, so I think, yeah, drawing piecemeal from those influences uh, is how I uh, uh, was inspired for the Hex. And when when will you ins you know take inspiration from like an EA or an Activision and have the battle pass and um, mm -hmm. have some loot boxes and just litter the game? Will the next game just be a giant microtransaction? Which no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> have you not? Have you explored any any aspects like that? Like, hey, I'll make it free to play, but I'll include something like that. I, I'm always fascinated where the, the the creative of any endeavor meets the business. Yeah, um, I definitely consider the business aspect, but I think even if I was like a total business person and I cared only for making money, at this point, creating a microtransaction-ridden game would be probably considered off-brand and would turn people away. It would, it, it would give it time. Give it time. Yeah. Everybody's got a cell phone. Give it yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> so... Even though creatively I have no interest in doing that, even even business-mindedly, uh, I wouldn't do that. So, 
So who, I mean, you mentioned some of the, the inspirations for, for elements of the hex. What, what games are occupying your time right now? Is there a, is there a, a must play list from you? Cause I would love to have that curated cause I've got a weekend well, coming up. This one isn't going to be a surprise, but Super Smash Bros is what I'm playing right now. Ah, ah, <laughs> everybody's playing it and I'm terrible at it. I have no idea what I'm doing. Oh, I'm not that good either. I keep losing to the challenger approaching. <laughs> you have unlocked zero characters. You've got a roster of four. No, I, I, I think I, I beat them about half the time because we're playing. I have my friends over, and then the challenger approaching, and then the thing. I don't know what they were thinking, but those CPUs are deadly. So yeah, we miss it out half the time. Although someone told me last night that you can go and rechallenge them. There's a options menu thing deep in there that you can rechallenge those. So I feel like I. I mean, I love Nintendo, and I, you know, I bought the game, but I feel like sometimes navigating the menu is a game in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just to find every little mode. I'm like, I think there's a story in there somewhere, and now I'm playing a painting, and the painting yeah. gets more difficult the more I turn my head to the right. What the fuck's yeah. going on? I don't understand it. Who's your? Do you yeah. have a? Do you have a main right now? Do you have a go-to character? In Brawl, I, I actually skipped a generation. Um, I only briefly played the last Smash Bros. So my brawl main was always Zelda. Okay. She's still be. I mean, because I mostly play with my friends, um, uh, the the whole crowd control element of her fireball that you shoot out and aim is is just uh, it pisses them off so much, and it's so effective in a in a multiplayer brawl that I can't I can't stop using it. Okay, so you're the troll that's just spamming on the map, but oh, yeah. still destroying yeah. everybody. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Chase Mac asks a very important question. What about the canvas bags? Did you follow? Did you fall the follow the fallout controversy? I, I heard a headline about it, so I know what he's referring to, but I don't. I don't think I know enough to make a comment about it. How much have you made? I mean, you enjoy games. That's your you know your pastime. It's also your profession. So how mm. how mired do you get in subreddits and Steam forums and mm. NeoGAFs and 4chan's or whatever else? Like how much do you absorb what the community is saying, what the, where the trends yeah. are going? I think my my um, main and really only portal into that is Twitter. I try to follow as many interesting developers as possible, and I scroll through Twitter at least once a day. And I think that's how I stay up to date, and that'll send me in any which way. Um, I think it is important to, you know, stay current with that stuff. But I definitely don't get mired down in forums or anything of the sort. Um, just not that there's anything wrong with that. I just don't find it as interesting. Of course, I do try to keep up to date on forums for my own games, particularly the Hex, because it's still somewhat recent. Sure. I want to see what I'm saying on there. Um, but yeah, that's that's my experience with that. Stuff. And have you spent a lot of time or, or any significant time toying with augmented reality, virtual reality? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I actually own um, HTC Vive, although my friend is borrowing it right now. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was really cool. I didn't feel inspired to create any VR experiences. I think part of it that puts me off is how um, restrictive it is in terms of who can play it. Like I, I would be releasing something and then a small subset the people who like my games would be able to play it, and that puts me off. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I think the surface has barely been scratched on what you could create um, VR. There's I think there's some exciting opportunities. Agreed. I look at the uh, having picked up a PSVR, knowing it's the kind of the, the 
certainly not the gold standard in in optics or audio or anything really or even in comfort it is not the best headset <laughs> out there but i got it because i wanted to try tetris effect in vr and having done that and i the 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 my least favorite part of the experience is that it's only i only get to experience it when i'm playing it or my fiance gets to experience it but she plays yeah, it right. i, I yeah. can't wait i look forward to the self-contained unit, the Oculus Quest by any other name. I hope HTC and, and Valve release their own standalone, but I look forward to that barrier to entry being lowered and it being yeah. all in one. So there's not a complicated setup so we can have communal experiences. It, it, mm -hmm. it seems counterintuitive that you're gonna put a jar on your face and yeah. disappear. So how could that be communal? But when it is self-contained, if friends can come over and bring their headsets and we can all go yeah. in at the same time and share an experience, that is what I want. I'm excited for that. That would be very cool. So can you make that, Daniel? That's my pitch. Can you make that? <laughs> can you do that, yeah. please? So you said you're on the Twitter sphere. I follow you. How can people find you? How can people uh, get Hex? I know we, we, we mentioned it, but let's let's say it again. So there's uh, there's no doubt where they yeah. can uh, get, get more of you and experience your games. Yeah, so uh, my Twitter handle is dmullinsgames. Um, uh, and what, if you're... If you find my Twitter page, there's a link to Steam. And once you've found that, you can probably link your way over to whatever you want. Um, but yeah, to reiterate, the hex is on Steam and itch.io. Um, itch.io if you want the uh, DRM free version. I should mention for the Steam version that you do get a, a little nice uh, bonus there in that um, mostly just for comedic purposes and kind of for fun, uh, it pulls your Steam friends into the game. That, I love that. Um, this was done in Pony Island to a more dramatic effect. In the Hex, it's more of just for fun. Um, so you will miss that if you use the itch. It's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, I don't want to say it's a small thing because I, I, they should buy the, the, buy it on any platform, but that, that tickled me in places I didn't know exist, yeah. existed, and I was delighted to, to be tickled in such a manner. I, I, I took a screenshot, uh, I just really snapped it and was sending it to friends going like, I can't believe you said this about this game. And the, what? Yeah, yeah. what? It just, it, it got me. It was a nice little trick and it, it was super enjoyable. Um, yeah, I think the funny, my favorite thing that I've seen someone do with that is if you recall in the RPG section, and you choose uh, your level up bonus, uh, the Twitch chat tries yeah. to tell you which one to pick. And my my friend who was streaming it would always his brother was one of the names appearing, so he he would listen to guidance from his brother on which one to, to pick, whichever message uh, his brother told him he would he would do. That's and so good. That, that was kind of endearing and fun use of it. I you know it's. I hesitate when I try. I tried to talk about the hex several times uh, without you here, and I tried to talk about it on the, on the morning show that we do, and I failed miserably each and every time. And I still feel like you just can't properly communicate what the game is, what the experience is going to be. The fact that you just casually mentioned, yeah, when the Twitch chat is yelling <laughs> at you what what to do, it's just it's it's filled with gems and surprises throughout it you can tell that it was a a labor of love and passion and, and great skill because again you had to uh not only code and art design and sound design all these things but you have to bring the player through them teach them the mechanics without mm -hmm. boring them iterate on them to keep it exciting while telling the story of characters in a game the story of the game the story of the creator of the game and then the yeah. the sort of meta narrative of the way the game is going to be played and received it it on every level delivers and it was a, a, a real joy to play and a, an equal delight to have you here daniel thank you so much for making the hex and for thank taking you. the time to talk about it yeah yeah that was um you know thanks for having me on interviewing me 
you're a great host and I oh thanks I'll, I'll take it i'll take it i'm gonna assume that you don't know better daniel so thank you <laughs> i appreciate it man thank you very much for joining yeah, yeah. Uh, I will I will properly wrap this out in a sound booth later and I will not take your time, Daniel, when I do it, but I will tell everybody that's watching live, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it. The VOD of this will go up in a week and or two. Uh, if you uh, didn't get the message very clearly from the last hour and change, go get the hex. Go support it. Play it. You will you will love it. And even if there's a, a particular game mode or mechanic that is not your cup of tea, give it three seconds because it will be flipped upside down uh, and, and, and you will be moving on to, to uh, a, just a deeper experience uh, filled with more whimsy and surprises. I, I can't gush uh, enough about it, so just go get it. Take my word for it. And if you hate it, Alex will refund you. Cool, Alex? <laughs> Can confirm. Great. Awesome. Daniel, thank you again, sir. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, everybody. I said it was a tasty sausage. You got that sausage all over your breath. And it's good. Breathe it in. And then breathe it out. Blast that breath. <laughs> it's a weird analogy for making a video game. I think sausage making is a primarily analog endeavor. Maybe there's some software controlling a hydraulic press somewhere or a sleeve of uh, pork bung where it's injecting said sausage into. I don't know. I stopped eating it. The, real sausage. Air quotes, real. I'm, I'm still eating things that approximate sausage. They have sausage-like flavorings, but they're made of tempeh or soy or some sort of blended nut. You didn't ask any of this. You didn't ask for any of this. I guess you, I guess you consented to, to hearing this, I, unless you're being forced at gunpoint, at a, like maybe you're bent over a genius bar and someone is cramming AirPods into your ears because they took my encouragement to raise awareness for this podcast a little too far. And I'm going to wag a finger at this imaginary genius bar member and say, don't do that. Don't do that. Encourage politely, you know, by saying, hey, I like this podcast. You guys should check it out. It's by this guy who used to do this thing. Now he does this thing. And you can support it if you want by going to patreon.com slash pointless pod. Tell them that. Don't jam ear pods into their ears and then grab them and hold them into some sort of headlock until uh, they acquiesce, until they cry uncle and say, I love it, I'm going to subscribe. Don't do that. You can you can get close to that line, though. I mean, I, I need it. <laughs> Definitely need it. This podcast needs it, so you do you. And as I say every time now, if you made it this far, mistakes were made, but let's celebrate them in the form of a tweet to me. I'm at Attack on Twitter. Find me there. I'm on other things, but I'm mostly on the Twitter sphere. At Attack, let me know that you made it this far and let me know your thoughts because your feedback helps immensely. Thanks to all of you for supporting this. Thanks to Daniel Mullins for being a great guest. Kisses, hugs, and belly rubs. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>